What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the I'm a Tell Like a TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a good show for you today. I'm pumped. I'm psyched for it. We got host of Sirius XM's Mad Dog Sports Radio, Morning Men, uh, Evan Cohen, coming on uh, later on in the program. Um, so we'll get his thoughts on, um, get to know Evan a little bit and get his thoughts on things that's been happening, not just in the sports world, but in the world uh, in general. Um, I, I will recap the MLB Network Presents, uh, the little Ken Griffey Jr. documentary that they had on their airways on Father's Day uh, night. Give my thoughts on that. I give you my thoughts on the Bubba Wallace thing and the noose and NASCAR and this, that, and the other. But first, I have fantastic news, and that is that we will have a 2020 Major League Baseball season. We will have a baseball season. Granted, not the way that everyone wanted it, you know, with the two sides coming together in agreement with the Kumbaya, but a season is a season, and we will have a 60-game MLB season. And just a little while ago, the news broke that the Yankees and the Nationals will open up the 60-game 2020 season fanless uh, MLB season between the World Series champion Washington Nationals and the uh, World Series favorite for 2020, New York Yankees. So in case you haven't realized it, if you haven't been paying attention with the as far as the scheduling is concerned, now the full schedule hasn't been released yet, but the format is that it's basically you play teams in your own division, and then with and then when it comes to interleague play, because they got to play the interleague play since the Astros, um, since the Astros uh, moved into the American League, but so it'll be so for a perfect example the Orioles my favorite baseball team will play teams you know we'll play the Yankees we'll play the Red Sox we'll play the Blue Jays we'll play the Rays and then in turn they'll play of course the crosstown rival Nationals um the Mets the Marlins the Phillies and the Atlanta Braves so it'll be you know you play your teams within your own division and then you and then the interleague Matchups that you'll play will be, you know, you know, will be of the same region. So, West, AL West and NL West play each other, AL East and NL East play each other, and AL Central and NL Central play against each other, and it will be a pretty, um, and it will be a pretty uh, amazing. Uh, no, I wouldn't say amazing, but it will be an energetic and a different uh, feel of a baseball season. You know, it's not like a marathon of 162 games. It's a sprint. And basically, you know, and if you start out the season, you know, 2-14, and 14, you could do yourselves in as far as a uh, having a chance of, of, of uh, making the postseason. No extra playoff teams will be the same format as it has been in previous years. The only difference is it's 60 games. The difference with the schedule changes and do the health circumstances with the pitchers, they'll have a universal DH. But I'll be into it. I mean, I was all down at dumps and I was, and I got to be honest, I was pissed off at baseball, but I'm a baseball fan at heart. 60 game season. It's summertime. Let's get the baseball. Let's, you know, if it's safe to, let's, if it's safe to play, let's play, boys. Come right back. Evan Cohen is standing by. Get his thoughts on plenty of other things and get to know Evan a little bit. We'll be back with the Amatelica TIS podcast right after this. 
Welcome back to the I'm going to tell like a T.I. is podcast. Joining me now, host of Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio's Morning Men with Mike Babchek on weekday mornings from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and also personality of ESPN Radio West Palm Beach. Joining me now uh, is the great Evan Cohen. Okay, Evan, how are you today? Okay, how are you <laughs> Well done, Jay. Well done. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing all right. Um, this is let's uh, do the serious stuff first, and then we'll get goofy and we'll get to know each other and everything else like that. Um, sure. So you know, though our country has basically been turned upside down and set on fire, not just because of the aforementioned coronavirus, but because of the protests and the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and everything else. Um, give me your thoughts on his death and you know what it means, what the, the significance is to you and the protests that have followed after. So I think one of the things that I have noticed over the last month or so is a problem and, a, and with the way in which me and others who look like me have been saying that we have a real problem with police brutality, racism, and social justice in our country over the last month. And I think it's kind of laughable to say it that way because we've had that problem for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think what has happened over the last month, tragically, as a result of a tragedy, has been the first real attempts at steps, learning, and knowledge of my lifetime, and I am 39 years old, I could sit here and say I'm open-minded. I could sit here and say I'm inclusive, but actions speak louder than words. And what I'm aware of and what I know I need to know more of is, honestly, I can't, I've never walked in your shoes. And walking in your shoes tragically, is a lot harder than walking in my shoes. That those who are out there that would judge people by the color of their skin Mm -hmm. would and could look at someone that looks like me as some way better than someone that looks like you. And that in itself is tragic. And I think if the ultimate one day hopeful good that comes out of this is that We somehow go back to, as I've said on the air, the playground where my kids, who are six and four, can go to the playground and play with kids and they have fun and they don't realize what race they are, what gender they are. They don't care. It's just, are they, is that kid fun to play with? And at some point, we all um, get away from that or stay with that, right? It's either that, that playground mentality of, I don't, you know, and I'm bringing up race in that I obviously, I know you look differently than I do. You know, I look differently than you do, right? So I'm not against bringing up race because I think race is important to understand history and understand where people come from and, mm-hmm. and uncontrollable elements of life, right? Like I didn't ask or choose to be white. You didn't ask or choose to be black. It's just what it is. And like we bring it up in a way that, hey, look, these are like anybody who's listening to this hopefully can listen in a way that here are two people that come from different walks of life that are, what, 21 years apart in age yeah. that can still have a civil, happy, hopefully funny 
conversation that puts smiles on people's faces. And like, if that can ultimately come out of this, it's not worth taking lives. It's not worth police brutality. It's not worth, worth treating people worse than. But if somehow finally the world has learned that we, we could say, oh, no, I'm inclusive and I love everybody. Well, yeah, I mean, actions speak louder than words. And I know that mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have um, any kind of say over hiring and firing and building anything at SiriusXM other than the content of the show that we host in the morning. But I mm-hmm. can tell you that we as a company at Good Karma Brands, uh, where I am the vice president of content, and you mentioned ESPN West Palm, we have failed for a long time. We've noticed that. And we have taken more steps in the last month than we've taken in the last few years. And that's both great and sad at the same time. But it doesn't matter that I'm actually saying it because actions will speak louder than words. And I am hoping that all of our actions will speak loudly. I mean, I know that I have taken in more um, content um, I just finished an audio book. Um, so you want to talk about race, um, you know, like over the last few weeks and training on, on inclusion and diversity and understanding, um, mm-hmm. over the last few weeks, I've taken in more of this than I have my, in my entire life. So I could sit there and say like, no, no, I've been inclusive. I've been open-minded. I, I don't know that I have been, you know, and I'm just going to be honest mm-hmm. about that. I haven't been exclusive, but I don't know that I've been inclusive. And I think that, uh, again, it should not take a death of an of a man in order for this to happen, or death of anyone in order for this to happen. But my mm-hmm. hope is that we all kind of learn that none of us have been good enough that look the way that I look. Right. It's like you know, it's like what our hero Christopher Mad Dog Russo said um, about <laughs> a week after this all happened. He said. Take care of your own little corner of the world. If you yourself can make sure that you educate yourself and not stay um, ignorant on on issues as far as race relations and the history of racism in this country, if you take care of that, then the rest will follow. If you take care of your own little corner of the world, as he put it, and make sure that your that your um, house is in order and that your ducks are in a row. Everything else will follow. And you, you know you said it perfectly. It's like it's like what I said on the show, uh, the second show after the uh, George Floyd incident. I said, you know, I came right out and I said, you can check it out on Twitter at I'm a telling story T I S. That you know, don't just post you know the hashtag Blackout Tuesday thing. And, you know, and have your little Black Lives Matter Instagram post or repost something from Obama or anybody else and, and, and go on your merry day. And then, you know, come the middle of August, we say George Floyd and you say, oh, who is that? That's that's not going to fly. If you are really serious about bringing about change and doing your part to ending systemic racism in America, you got to go above and beyond. You got to invest. You got to put your dollar into the black community. You got to assimilate yourself with black culture. You got to, you got to figure out and get to realize and have a sense of what the black people that you, that you interact with on a day in day out basis, you got to understand and feel and grasp how they feel and, and what it's like walking in their shoes because, you know, because being black, it's, it's a, it's a blessing, but it comes, but it comes with many hardships. 
And, you know, a lot of people, and Jalen Rose said it perfectly. We live in America loves black culture, but we got to get America to the point where we not only love black culture, but love our black people as a whole. You can't, you can't, you can't take and steal and accept and love the culture. But when it comes to the person, as far as qualities of a human being are concerned, we got to bring up all these stigmas and, and stereotypes and, and all that, that, that can't fly. It can't fly. Everything you're saying is correct. Makes a ton of sense. But honestly, my words, in my opinion, mean nothing. Let's see what happens. Let's see what I'm a part of. Let's see what we are a part of. Let's see what changes can be made. You know, I, I you know, let's see what, what happens here. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, say I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. I know what I've done to educate myself, to put myself in a better position of understanding, but not really understanding the shoes you walk in. And I will never understand that fully, but I get, there are some little things that I've understood more and more recently that are starting to make more sense to me. And I think these are the kind of conversations that I'm looking to have. So I don't talk about it. I just do it. And when I say I, I mean the, 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 the teams that I am a part of, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the companies that I associate with, the shows that I am a part of, the whatever it may be, that you know, actions will speak louder than words. Right, and when and when you do act, and when you go out and do something, not I'm not speaking to you, Evan, but I'm speaking to to the masses, to the majority, especially especially the celebrities out there, and you know who you are. Don't don't bring a bunch of cameras and upload the dopey thing on on your social media platforms. Don't don't bring out the cameras. I don't want to see TMZ. None none of that. Do it quietly. Because because it's about because it's about changing people's lives and changing the world, not about you making yourself look good in front of a TV camera. So we go turn so we turn on the TV and say, "Oh, look at this! This person did such and such." No, do it quietly. Do it quietly. But um, so uh, segueing into this, Drew Br- after the uh, George Floyd stuff and the protests uh, happened about a week and a half week later drew Brees came out and said on yahoo finance basically saying among other things that he does not support uh players of the national football league uh kneeling and disrespecting the flag because of his grandfathers that fought in wars he later uh, saw that he uh, had put had his foot in his mouth because his teammates and nearly everyone in the sports landscape, media and fellow athletes, saw that he put his foot in his mouth and he walked and he did two apologies. He had an apology uploaded on his Instagram and then he did another video apology. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I saw he and his wife was also doing something as far as uh, HBCUs and football and all that other stuff is concerned. Uh, Evan, what are your thoughts on what Drew Brees said, his actions after his apology, and how do you think Drew Brees will handle essentially the backlash that he's going to get, you know, because he does play in a predominantly black city in New Orleans. How how do you think that's going to affect his relationship with his team, the relationship with the city, and what is your overall thoughts on what he said? Yeah, so, so my thing is this, and it's not even just about Drew Brees. I just am amazed that still to this day in 2020, people do not understand that Colin Kaepernick never protested the national anthem. There's not a single player to my knowledge in the history of the NFL that has ever protested the national anthem. 
every player that has ever taken a knee during the national anthem protested police brutality, social injustice, and racism in our country. They right. protested what ultimately became the horrific, horrendous, disgusting visual of George Floyd. Right. That's what they were protesting, they as in the players. And so the, the Drew Brees conversation is just amazing to think that after all of these years and when he had teammates and players in the league that obviously he knew took a knee, that at that moment he did not understand that that has nothing to do with the United States of America or protesting a flag. Colin Kaepernick and many others that have taken a knee have specifically said that they, they love the United States of America. They have no interest in leaving the United States of America or anything like that. They right. solely had an interest in protesting police brutality and racism and social injustices. And my thing is this. I am totally 1,000% okay with the player in the NFL or in any sport that chooses to take a knee during the national anthem because my assumption based on every piece of information that we have had is that every one of those players is protesting police brutality, racism, and social injustice. They are not protesting the flag, the military, or the United States of America. I'm also okay with anyone that wants to stand during the national anthem. And, I, and I'm not going to make the leap unless I hear them say otherwise that they are against Black Lives Matter or they are against everything wrong that has gone on in our country. If someone wants to stand, that is his or her right. If someone wants to take a knee, that is his or her right. My complaint through all of this has been I just don't get how athletes and people in general, in this case you're bringing up Breeze, still four years later don't get why Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee. It just, that, that blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do not look down on anyone that stands for – if you want to stand for the anthem and put your hand over your heart, I got, I got no problems with that. You know, and it's about time that people wake up and quit uh, leaving their head in the sand, uh, think making it seem like that the idea of protesting during the national anthem is protesting and disrespecting the military, the flag, the anthem, and all that. Other. No, it's not. If you open up your ears and you quit hearing what you want yourself to hear and stop with the selective hearing, Nate Boyer, who's a Green Beret former soldier in the military, that's who, right. who, who also was on an NFL squad with Seahawks about a few years ago. He came out. He said, Colin, it would be much better and it would be deemed more, quote unquote, respectful if you kneeled during the anthem rather than you sitting on the bench. And I know what he's saying is true because Evan, my because Evan, my uh, maternal grandfather who died 11 years ago last week. Um, 10 days, 10 days ago, 11, 10 days ago, 11 years in 2011 or nine years, I should say he, he served in the Marines and he served in the Korean war. And my father told me I, I was too young. I was, I was at a, I was at my mother's friend's house. I didn't go to the funeral, but he told me how, when they took the American flag off of his casket and they folded it up in the way that you were supposed to fold it up. The which the the people there, the military personnel there, took a knee and gave the American flag to my grandmother. 
So I don't so I don't want to hear. And there's plenty of people out there that's had that same, uh, you know, where they fold the flag up and they, and, you yeah. know, and they take a knee and they give it to, you know, to their widow or whatever. So I don't want to hear none of this crap about well, kneeling is disrespectful. No, it's not. Okay, if you did a little work and quit you know, believing what you want to believe and making stuff up, you'd realize that this has nothing to do with the national anthem. This has everything to do with protesting, protesting against police brutality. It's not, it's never been about the national anthem, never has been, never will be. If you think it's about the national anthem, I hate to, I hate to come off, uh, um, bombastic about it, but you're wrong. It's, It's not an opinion. It's fact. It's fact and wrong. If anyone out there that thinks that kneeling against the national anthem is a quote-unquote disrespect to the military, you're nuts. You, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you, you don't know. And, and I part- could not agree more. I think that there are people that would argue the factual aspect of it. I would not because of what everything we've said. But if it's, hey, I take offense to someone taking a knee during the national anthem, that's totally fine because we can play that game all day. Because I can say I, I take an, I take offense to the shirt you're wearing, the pants you're wearing. Like it, it, it so has nothing to do with the anthem at all that it, it goes to that place of stupidity of what I just said of like, oh, I'm offended by your shirt, right? Like that's such a stupid thing to say. But that's how far removed that the taking a knee has anything to do with the anthem. Like it's literally that because of how ridiculous that that concept is. Right. And the idea with Breeze, you know, what my grandfather's fought, what is Drew Breeze? And I know he says, you know, backtrack this and that. I didn't I didn't get a chance to tell you tell you this on your show. But the idea that Drew Breeze is, you know, grandparents the only grandparents in America that fought in world wars is, is nuts. OK, my father's grand my father's grandparents fought in wars, you know, with black, plenty of black American men soldiers fought fought alongside drew Brees' grandfathers in the world wars the problem is is that when drew Brees' grandfathers got home they had a parade down the canyon of heroes and were and you know the ticker tape parades and, and were playing you know when johnny comes marching home rather when my great grandparents came home from wars and plenty of other uh, black American soldiers came home from World War One and World War Two, and even the Korean War with my with my late grandfather. They were not worshipped. They were not celebrated. They were spat on. They were called everything but a child of God. They were denied service at the counter at the local uh, diner or across the corner. So Drew, Drew Brees has Drew, Brees, especially as as an elder statesman of the football team he plays on, that's that's been around a little bit. He he should know better. He really, really should, and he should realize that what made what he said so bad is that he has an influence, not just with the players and his constituency in the NFL, but he's got young kids that you know, not his, just his own children, but he's got other kids that you know they live in New Orleans and you know that are football fans. You know, I'm pretty sure your uh, kids are big time football fans. They look up to people like Drew Brees that go about their business the right way. So, and you don't want to basically spew that ignorance to the younger generation because then that's when the whole problem starts because you have people that are either ignorant or they know better, but they choose to do the opposite. And I would, I would add this just kind of in closing for me on the, on the Brees thing. 
if Drew Brees wanted to say, the reason that I, Drew Brees, stand for the national anthem is because when I hear that song and when I see the flag, I personally, Drew Brees, think of my grandparents that fought in the military and in the army. If that was the extent of the conversation, not one person on planet Earth would have an, have an issue with that. That's fine. That's what it means to you. But when you're then spewing the belief, which is just, as you and I have discussed, borderline factually incorrect that you think it disrespects the military, that's where you get yourself in trouble. If you just cut it off after the first part in terms of, you know, are you going to stand you kneel for the anthem, whatever it is? Well, I'm going to stand, me being Drew Brees in this case, because of my grandparents. And if my teammate wants to take a knee because of their grandparents or because of their beliefs, great. Like, there's no I'm, – I'm not going to tell anybody what to do in this specific case at all. Now, if, you, if Drew Brees should tell people what to do on the football fields, you know, where to go run the routes and stuff like that. But in this right. – and, and maybe in terms of football kind of behind the scenes and leadership and things like that, yes, absolutely. If he wants to pull Alvin Kamara aside and say, listen, you know – when, when you are going to deal with Sean Payton on this, just some advice. You may want to do this. Or, hey, you know, normally I get here at, like, I'm making this up. I get here at 730. I'd, I'd love for you to be here with me. That's, that's different kind of telling someone what to do, right? That's guidance solely, not compromising beliefs, and solely to make them and the team better. Nobody would have an issue with that. But when you're then, you know, spewing your own beliefs, it's to, like, hey, they're wrong to believe this. That's when you really get yourself in hot water. Right. Yeah. And and again, Drew Brees is not a racist and he and, you know, what he said, there's this was he's saying something racist and racially insensitive. What he said was racially insensitive and he put his foot in his mouth and he backtracked what he said, you know, so. And he. But and I'm he also like I'm he, also not going to write him off forever because my thing is this. Right. As I told you, like in reading and understanding more, I realize some of the mistakes that I've made on the air and off the air, right? Where I've said things, done things, whatever it may be, that I didn't really understand it. So I can't just write people off when I, I do believe with him, he's going to try and he has been trying already to learn what he did wrong and how to not make those mistakes again. Like we have to allow for change to occur. It's not just going to be snap your fingers and then all of a sudden everything's going to be better. Right. It doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah, I agree. And it's just, you know, one last thing on Drew Brees. Make sure when you play it, when you, you know, the next home playoff game you play in, whether it's in an empty Superdome with Corona or in 2023, make sure when you play in a playoff game next time, don't get outplayed by marginal quarterbacks, please. <laughs> okay. You got out, you got out, you got outplayed by Jared Goff. And uh, you know, for three quarters in the championship game in 2018, yes, the call was egregious, but gee whiz, Drew, you let Jared Goff essentially look like Kurt Warner in the game. Well, and, and, and let's remember, I, I mean, I, I fight with people all the time on this, and I said it to Sean Payton's face when we had him on at the Super Bowl. They took the lead on the next play. Don't forget that. They literally took the lead on the next play. They then gave up the lead. Breeze threw an interception. And, like, so, you know, let's, let's not act like as yeah. bad as that call was in the NFC championship game. Let's not act like it ended the game because they took the lead on the next play on a field goal. People forget that part, and Brees threw a huge interception after that. Yep, yeah, he did. And then, and then this past January, you know, Kirk Cousins, who ne- prior to that game against the Orleans, never won a big game in his life. Yeah, but he's not mediocre. Nothing. I'm going to fight you on that. He is not mediocre. Oh. He's not. 
He, what he, he's mediocre in the games that the nation watches. In the random 1 o'clock Eastern game on a Sunday where they're playing, you know, the Jaguars, theoretically, you know, or the Lions or whatever it may be, like, he's, I mean, statistically, he has been a top 10 quarterback in the NFL for the last three or four years. You may not like him. You may not want him on your team. You may not think he's great in a big spot or in a big game, and you may be right about all of that. But statistically, this is a guy that has been a top 10 quarterback in the NFL for the last three years. I mean, last year, I just pulled up his numbers. 15 games played, 3,600 yards, 26 touchdowns, six interceptions, a quarterback rating of 107.4. Uh, I mean, the guy the guy has been very good. He, he, he had a good year. Last, I give you that. He had a good year last year. I'm just saying that, you know, Drew Brees was first about Hall of Fame. Oh, I know that. I know. I'm not comparing him to Brees. I'm saying that my issue would be when you call him mediocre, right? Because then, okay, so think about this. I'm going to give you this. I mean, it's actually remarkable. Since he became a full-time starter in 2015, touchdown to interception ratio, 29-11, And he missed one game since 2015 as a full-time starting quarterback. That's pretty damn good. That's, that's, that's not terrible. Oh, <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> uh uh, one more thing on the se- uh, uh, a couple more things on the serious stuff, and then we can get goofy for the rest of the interview. Uh, the Bubba Wallace situation with him finding a noose at Talladega, uh, and him basically bringing to NASCAR's attention of banning the Confederate flag. Uh, g- give me your thoughts on the situation regarding Bubba Wallace, NASCAR banning the flag and the noose at uh, Talladega. Well, I mean, admittedly, I'm not a NASCAR guy. I don't know a ton about this sport. Um, but what I do know is that Bubba Wallace has made change already. Change that has not happened until Bubba Wallace pushed for it. So the first thing is he deserves an insane amount of credit. The second thing, and, and good for NASCAR for getting rid of the Confederate flag. It's mind boggling to think that it was allowed at their racetracks for as long as they allowed it. And if they lose the, the, the fandom of those who want to divide and voluntarily do things in real life to hurt people, they don't want those fans anyway. Like, this is not one of these divides where, you know, you come on the radio and you come up with a topic based on sports and half the – like what we just did, right? I don't care if I'm dividing the audience on is Kirk Cousins good, Right. That's, that's a meaningless right. divide that could be fun for the 10-minute for the conversation that nobody will take right. offense to, nobody's going to take personally, nobody's going to really be hurt. But the Confederate flag, even if you're somebody that somehow, which is mind-boggling, thinks it's about heritage, where you're lost, by the way. Uh, well, that, that's a bunch of nonsense. Right, of course it is. You and I know that. But I'm just saying, even if you're that person, you're still voluntarily bringing it to hurt other people. Why would you want to do that? Why would that be a good idea? I don't understand that. And So that's number one. Number two, in terms of the situation with the noose. So anyone who inserts Bubba Wallace into this as a villain is off their rocker, number one. But number two, I actually appreciate that you're telling me that. And the reason I appreciate you telling me that you blame Bubba Wallace is because now I know everything I need to know about you. Because you wanted Bubba Wallace to be blamed. 
you wanted to use Bubba Wallace and Jesse Smollett from Empire in the same sentence. You were hoping that that would be the case. That shows me everything I need to know about you. That's who you are. That You're that person that literally wants to, to really just hate Bubba Wallace, which is disgusting. When people bring up Jesse Smollett, like and actually have an argument about Jesse Smollett relative to Bubba Wallace, that to me is akin to just basically saying, Thurman Thomas must have murdered people because he was a Bills running back in the 90s and, and OJ murdered people in the 90s. One of the dumbest things that's ever come out of my mouth just now. There's no logic for that comparison, but that's my whole point. Jesse Smollett has nothing to do with Bubba Wallace. The situations are nowhere near similar. One person staged a, a horrible act. Another person was on his way to dinner, got a call, told about something, came back, was obviously emotionally distraught, goes to the racetrack the next day. His, his fellow drivers and NASCAR community has his back, and later they find out through an FBI investigation that somehow a noose was there for you know since October. He had nothing to do with it. He said he had nothing to do with it. Richard Petty, who owns his race car, said he had nothing to do with it. NASCAR said he had nothing to do with it. And the FBI said he had nothing to do with it. Yet somehow, some way, there are still people that want to blame him, that want to go after him. That is the absolutely disgusting. And, and it has there's no comparison to Jesse Smollett at all. I think the one debate, in my opinion, the one debatable point here is simply if NASCAR had a do-over, would they have altered their press release or their approach? And I'm not going to get all over NASCAR, because at the core, you're talking about an organization that thought a crime was committed, immediately reported it to the authorities, did everything in their power to protect the person that I deem now to be the face of their sport in Bubba Wallace. They put out a release to make sure that the world knew that they were not hiding this and to draw attention to the fact that let's make sure that Bubba Wallace is protected. They later found out it was not a hate crime and it had nothing to do with Bubba Wallace. So I'm not going to blame NASCAR. Do I understand the critique of, well, if they just said alleged hate crime? Yeah, okay. Yeah, if they wanted to do over on that you wanted to insert that word, I have no problem with that. But I'm not somebody that's going to get on NASCAR, and I'm going to get angry when people get on Bubba Wallace because he had nothing to do with this. I agree. Um, the idea that this is Jesse Smollett is uh, is a hogwash. Uh, he's the, the I is so unbelievably just ridiculous that you would bring Jesse Smollett into this. It, it, it's absurd. I mean, I. I it, it gets to the point where I'm stammering, I'm stuttering, because I don't know what to say to someone who is that stupid, and I would bring that up with the with the conspiracy theories. Uh, please, okay? There's there's an old famous quote from Dr. Kane. He said, the two most dangerous things on the planet are sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. The peop- The idiots and the morons that have these asinine conspiracy theories about well Bubba Wallace was behind all this they aren't uh ignorant they they are conscientiously stupid they know better but they just choose to basically be an idiot 
you know, because it's because it fits what they want to believe or their own agenda, or they're just straight up, up and down, you know, racist. I mean, uh, the idea that he placed this there was, and then again, you people have to go up and, and, and do their research of nooses and the history of the lynchings of black people in America. Okay. Go people, go do your homework on Emmett Till, how the lie was made up that a, you know, he whistled at a white woman. And this, this is a kid that's like 13, 14 years old and ended up getting lynched and, and passed away. Okay. Go, go watch some, go watch some of these, uh, Old whether go watch Roots, go watch go watch some of these uh, TV shows and, and these uh, and these docudramas back in uh, back during the slavery days. How basically white people would basically treat lynchings of uh, of of their black brethren as if as if it was like a ball game. You know, they'd have picnics and then when they'd you know push them off the platform, and, you know, and they and they would you know they'd go out. You know they they'd you know they cheer they'd clap and they'd scream like like it was a fireworks show. So I'm sitting up here and again couldn't ask her could have kept this quiet you know until the investigation is yeah. But I'm not going to get on NASCAR you know when when the stigma of their sport has been associated with the with that racist uh so, with that that racist redneck Confederate flag bearing you know you know, white, you know, white, uh, fan base that, that, that they have. So when you have that sort of a stigma and when you ban a Confederate flag, it's almost as if it's like, well, we can't, we can't be in and out one, one foot out the door when it comes to, you know, racial equality and, you know, and ending this ending racism and doing like with dogs to take care of our little corner of the world. So did they kind of, did they overreact? You could. You no, could say no, that, but, but I, no, I don't think they right. overreacted. Sorry to interrupt. I think they mm. would. They, mm. if they had like one do-over, it would just be an alteration of a statement. I, I don't think we. Mm. How can we say they overreacted? They saw a noose in the sole black driver's uh, garage. So, yeah. like, this is not an. And so they reported it to the FBI. Like, that's not an overreaction. Yeah. That's what you should do. Better safe than sorry. Like, you know, yeah. like it's just. See, this is why, and I thought I was really happy with the conversation that we had on, on both shows that I do. Um, what was it when it all came out? Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever it came out, that that it was not a hate crime because the conversation was so logical, in my opinion, because it was not about Bubba Wallace. Because everybody, like everybody with a brain, understood he has nothing to do with this. It was about the relatability, in my opinion, of. Hey, when you when stuff when you're in that spot, what do you say to people? Like, right? When you're in this tricky spot at work or at school or at a business, whatever it may be, and you're like, okay, how am I going to tell everyone? And that was the conversation that we had. It was about if you were NASCAR, would you want to do over on this? How would you have handled it differently? And I thought that was a very productive conversation on both shows that I do because I just mm. kind of thought, like, hey, we're actually focusing on the right thing here that's not gonna divide. We're focusing on the, it's not a hate crime, thank God. Bubba Wallace is okay, mm-hmm. thank God. Uh, Bubba Wallace continues to put a smile on his face, thank God. Well, let's discuss NASCAR, this big governing body of a sport like the NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, whatever it is, and their decision-making. That's what we do for a living, right? Like, I talk about that every day. So mm-hmm. where that conversation kind of went this, this past week, I was honestly pretty damn proud. 
because we didn't go to the place of what you just said, not in terms of the history of it, but like how beyond mm-hmm. stupid it is to bring up Justice Smollett. Like we didn't go there because it's just, we're not gonna we're not gonna bring those people in. Like if you want to be that per- be that person that wants to compare this to Justice Smollett, like go somewhere else. Not interested. And I would, you know, I'd rather, I would much rather have someone, you know, act accordingly, even if, even if they were to, to the point where if it was NASCAR, if they would have a do over of how they handled it, I would rather have someone go above and beyond when it comes to stuff like this, whether it's alleged hate crime stuff, rather than have someone basically not treated as, as big as, as they should. For sure. That, that was the point. That was the point I was trying I agree to. with you. But, you know, uh, that was the last serious thing. All right, let's uh, let's get a uh, goofy for a minute. Okay. Um. So with with the quarantine, we've been stuck in quarantine since approximately June, March twelfth. Uh, I want to say was that Friday. Um. So what's been life like for you? I know like the story because I listen to you and Babs every morning. But tell the audience member that listens to my show that doesn't listen to you and Babs, what's life been like for you, Evan Cohen, uh, during quarantine this last uh, few months? Yeah, ago? I mean, um, uh, amongst and amidst the tragic horrors that have been going on in this world, I feel very fortunate to have my family, uh, my wife and my kids, that they have been healthy. We have been healthy. Um, and we have, uh, we got very lucky in that a very, very wonderful, loving family friend of ours, uh, happened to be, uh, in Florida. They're from Massachusetts or they live in Massachusetts. They were in Florida and they knew that we did not want to stay in New York city at that time, which was, you know, really the hotbed of COVID. And they literally let us use their house for a couple of months. And it was a godsend, honestly. Like I got, you know, it's one of those things where you think about and you're like, how do you pay somebody back for doing that? And and the reality is you can't, you can't because you then have to create another terrible time of need where things are terrible in the country where you could provide them something that they don't have. And we, we can't do that. Mm. And so the, the the feeling that I got from them and I will continue to get from them is just unbelievable gratitude. And, and, you know, can I pay it forward one day? I don't know. I, I you know, I mean, it's not like it's like sitting there for me right now to be able to pay it forward, but you know, if I can. And so uh, that's from the human perspective, obviously I feel tremendous um, luck and gratitude to those people. Um, from an overall perspective, it's weird because, you know, we have not missed one day of radio and both Sirius XM in the morning and good karma brands in the afternoon, like to provide me the opportunity and us the opportunity to be on the air every day has been uh, remarkable. Uh, Honestly, like it's just crazy Mm -hmm. to think that we have not had one single day where we have not been able to do the show. And We've tried, you know, I'll just speak about the morning for a second, but like we've tried a lot of different things, different kinds of guests that we've never had before. You know, our show in many ways, I want to believe because of, you know, because of the preparation that Andrew Goldberg puts into it with us and Babs' mm-hmm. overall brilliance of just being able to do things and convey things and being relatable and being hysterical and being the creator of jokes and being the butt of the jokes. I mean, he is the single most talented person I've ever worked with in radio. And 
our show is kind of made for nothing going on. It's made for when something like something something's going on. Like yeah, everybody seems to be okay, but I think our show has proven through this that we are kind of made for if there's a hundred games one night or no games one night. I think we're going to be ready to go either way. Yeah, yeah. Your your show. I've I've listened for like the past year and a half. Your show was I when this uh, quarantine stuff first happened. I said if there's one show that's not going to have a problem with no sports being on, it's uh, it's evident Babs because they do nothing but joke around and and have fun anyway. Uh, it, Andrew Holdberg <laughs> is their uh, producer who still remains on hold. He's been on hold for the past uh, three months. Uh, yeah, I should put some so context I'll... behind that because for, as you said, for those which is brilliant of you because you're right. For those people who listen to you and have never heard us. So part of the weird setup we have with SiriusXM, so normally Andrew, weird, weird in like an amazing way, not weird in a bad way. Andrew, Mike, and I are normally in a New York studio, the three of us together. So SiriusXM has been gracious enough to provide Mike and I equipment to do the shows from wherever we are, right? So our homes in this case. <laughs> and so, right. but Andrew, as the producer, doesn't necessarily have to be on the air. So he literally is on a phone on hold for the entire show because the show is now run out of Washington, D.C., and, and the SiriusXM office is there. So Andrew is, is just a resource for someone who is not as familiar with our show, uh, who's actually doing the physical running of the show, the, all the technical stuff, to be a resource for if that person is in a, a bind just to pick up the phone and Andrew's waiting for that person. So, yes, we have created the character Andrew Holdberg because he has literally been on hold four hours every day for the last three-plus months. Right, yeah. So, uh, but that, that's, the back, that's the, been the backstory with that. And uh, for those of you all, well, where serious, they have, uh, I think the building is, Ave, is Avenue of America's up in Manhattan in New York City. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful studio. You have... Uh, Evan that sits in a power chair. Okay. Babs, I, yeah, you know, okay. Uh, Babs is, uh, is he? Does he sit to your left or to your right? No. So basically, like, think of it as a T, and um, Babs and right. Andrew are kind of at the horizontal part of it. So uh, as I and I'm at the vertical part of it. So I'm at the end, and I face both of them, and Andrew is kind of in front of me on my left, and Mike is um, very much on my right. Right. I got you. What's uh, what's what's the uh, quarantine been like for the rest of your family, the wife and your kids and everything? Else? It's been tricky because you know my kids are six and four, and they want to be around kids and they want to be you know having fun and stuff. My they've done you know pretty well with the distance learning, which is great. Um, my wife's been unbelievable because you know when they wake up in the morning, I'm not available to help, and she's been insanely amazing as always, and making sure that they're okay and getting them on the you know, on their computers and, and iPads and stuff for, for school. And, um, you know, her busy season at work is coming up now, so it's going to kind of be a little bit of a reverse where I'm going to need to, uh, you know, do a better job than I've done. And she's been, you know, an A++. So I have um, big shoes to fill when she really starts her busy season at work here coming up, which is all going to be, you know, virtual and distant as well. Um, but, you know, thank God everybody's good, which, you know, we are lucky, which I know that your family's doing okay as well, I hope. I think in our communication you've told me that, so that's good. Yes. 
Um, what's what's uh, what was it like growing up? Uh, you're from where are you from, Evan? As a matter of fact, I'm from Westchester County, New York. Westchester County. What was it like growing up? You were born in what? 1981? No, 80. Oh, 80. Oh, so you'll be 40 this year. Correct. When's your birthday? August 29th. August 29th. Good deal. So born August 29th. Oh, wow. Ain't that something? You share a birthday with Michael. That I do. How about that? Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good job by you. Um, (laughs) I didn't really have any say on that one, but okay, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was it like growing up uh, in Westchester County, New York? Give us a synopsis of what it was like being young Evan Cohen growing up in the 80s and 90s. What, what was your childhood like? What was life like as a kid? Well, um, all about sports as much as I possibly could. Uh, I remember in 1989 when I was nine years old listening to Mike and the Mad Dog on WFAN for the first time and falling in love with mm-hmm. it. I would, you know, I would listen literally every day. I would go to sleep at night with the radio on physically behind my, me. Like I had like this little, uh, like, I don't know, like a headboardy headboard kind of thing where like you could put the radio on top of it, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And I would listen to WFAN every single night when I would go to sleep. Uh, I was just obsessed. And I played basketball, baseball, and football in high school, four years of football, two years of basketball, two years of baseball. And, you know, I, all I ever wanted to do was be on the radio and, you know, I listened to Mike and the Mad Dog every day. And then I discovered Howard Stern and I started listening to him every single morning. I would also listen to Hot 97 in New York, uh, Ed Lover, Dr. Dre, Lisa G, Angie Martinez, Funk Flex. Um, and I would listen to, you know, I would just consume radio as much as possible. And I think that, you know, I was thinking about you before starting this today that, where you are ahead of the game is not only because you're doing it in terms of podcasts, but where most people don't do what you do at such a young age at 18 is they don't study it. And when I always talk to young, young people who are trying to get in this business, your love and what, what I'm lucky enough to have had is, is this, the love can't be for sports solely. The love has to be for radio and sports. And if you, Mm -hmm. and you, I know, study and listen to the radio because every single kid that I grew up with loved sports. Not every single, you know what I mean? A large portion of the kids loved sports, played sports, whatever it may be. And we would go to Mets games or Yankee games or Nick games, Ranger games, whatever it is. And we'd all love sports and we'd, we'd talk sports as much as possible. But the ones who actually, you know, get into this have to have a love for radio in this case. And so listening to Howard, listening to Hot 97, listening to WFAN, listening to all this radio and consuming it as much as possible gave me so many different ideas and concepts. And, and, you know, still to this day, I mean, obviously, you know, I love Doggy, of course. Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick has been a great influence in in learning from him. Stephen A. Smith uh, as well has been great to us. Um, and then so many people within, you know, the Good Karma Brands family that have been amazing to us, as, to, to me and to Babs and I as well. And it's just like, you know, so I know I kind of veered off a little bit. But my childhood in many ways was about playing sports, consuming sports and consuming the radio. Like I just loved the radio as much as I could consume it. I did. Right. Did you uh, did you grow up with any siblings, Evan? Yeah, I have a younger sister who's three years old, uh, three years older, three years younger than me. I'm three years older than her. And she lives. How was, how's and the, she lives in Miami. How's 
How's that relationship with her? Were you all close growing up? Oh, yeah, or? very much so. Yeah, my sister and I are extremely close. Um, you know, basically talk in some way, text, call every day. Um, right. Her husband, my brother-in-law, is, you know, uh, I think three or four years younger than me, also works in sports, which is amazing. So I'm lucky enough to have him um, as part of my family. And my sister, you know, has two kids, my two nephews, two boys who are ridiculously good athletes already. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, uh, we're very close to them as well. Uh, to, and, well, to my sister, but also to her family, her immediate family. I guess. Were you, were you that brother, you know, that was the gatekeeper when the boys come to the house? It's like – you know, who's this? Or, you well, know, ain't got no I guess this is here. the best way I could answer that question. At times she would call me dad. So, yes. <laughs> Speaking of dad and Father's Day, uh, what, what's your, what was your relationship like with your father and your grandfather and all the men that were in your family? So my dad um, and I, uh, well, my dad has a love for sports as well. My dad's a, a lawyer. He has a love for sports. He loves basketball. That's definitely his favorite sport. He's more of a college basketball and even high school basketball growing up at times more than the NBA. But he does love – he likes the NBA, but not not like me. Um, my dad would take me to every game and take and come to every game of mine. You know, he would always be at my football games, my basketball games, my baseball games, always be willing to play and give me advice about sports um, at all times and, and not advice about like, here's who's good in the NBA, but advice, you know, Mm -hmm. about how to act, how to control myself. And, you know, there's a few stories I could, if you want, I could quickly tell you of like the kind of person that he was to me growing up is that, you know, there was a time, I want to say third grade where he and another parents were coaching the uh, baseball team. And I was on the team and I had had some bad play in the field and I threw my glove coming off the field. Immediately Mm -hmm. benched me for the rest of the game. Did not let me go back in the game. That's my dad wouldn't let me go back in. Said that's that kind of behavior is not going to be allowed. Like we're not going to act that way. And, you know, and he was right, by the way. I've told my son that story. Um, And, you know, that's an important one for me. I know it sounds trivial, but like, you got to act the right way. And, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then same kind of thing happened in high school where I was a starting quarterback for my football team, which was great for me, terrible for the team. Um, <laughs> and we had specific dress code for some practices. And so there was a practice where I wore the wrong socks to practice. And I got benched for the next day for the first half and I came home and I was all fuming and I said to my dad, like, Hey, just so you know, when you come to the game tomorrow, um, you're not going to see me play in the first half. And he's like, why? And I told him the story. I said, this is ridiculous. I wore the wrong socks and this is crazy. Like, I can't believe this. And he said, well, what socks were you supposed to wear? I said, well, the other ones. And he goes, well, then you should have been benched. And that was the kind of mentality, like, you know, hey, you got to respect, like, if that's the coach and then that coach is telling you what to do for a specific reason, you got to respect that. And that's kind of how, you know, I grew up and, and the kind of way that I believe. That's not to say that, you know, if you if you want to have a conversation with your coach, and this is more figurative than literal, but about, hey, I don't think we should wear those kinds of socks. That's fine. Have that conversation privately, you know, like, but I didn't, mm-hmm. I just didn't wear the right ones, like just sloppy, you know? And right. so, you know, I was, I was, and I'm very lucky, obviously, you know, my dad supported me in terms of, you know, coming to all my stuff and believing in my career and, you know, all that kind of stuff. My dad's dad um, was a 
more of, of a scholar, I would say. He was a teacher. Mm-hmm. He worked in the post office. He was in the army. He was a very smart, uh, very quiet guy, not a sports guy at all. Um, did like boxing, I believe. Um, would like be brilliant with crossword puzzles and things like that. And then my mm-hmm. mom's dad was, you know, for the majority of my life, pretty much my best friend. We would, you know, talk all the time, like literally every day with my grandfather. We would, he was a huge Mets fan. So we would, uh, you know, watch Mets games either together at the going to the games or, or, you know, on the, um, at the same time and talk in between innings on the phone. And they would, my grandparents on my mom's side would come when I was living in, well, even before I was living in Florida, but every, every January they'd rent a place in Delray beach, Florida for one month. And then when I ended up moving to Florida in 2003, before coming to New York in 11, I would see them every January, every day. And it would be amazing. He was an amazing sports fan. And, you know, also a very, you know, he was, um, he worked at an ad agency. Uh, one of his first clients was the New York Mets in the 60s. So he would do a lot of the ads for the New York Mets. He was, you know, oh, wow. probably a lot of my discipline, if you want to say I have any, I don't know, but that's where I think my discipline probably came from my dad's side. Uh, with my dad and my um, attempt at entertainment definitely came from my grandfather and my mom's side. Well, well, what's your, what was your mother like? What was your relationship with her? Uh, my mom is, uh, I guess, an entertainer, <laughs> whether she's entertaining herself mm-hmm. or trying to entertain others. My mom is an interior decorator. She's been on the show uh, a bunch of times. She is um, – I think an entertainer is maybe a really good way of saying it because she's either making herself crack up and making herself, uh, you know, into something or, or trying to entertain for others. Um, yeah. So, I mean, my mom's funny. She can sing. She's an interior decorator and she's uh, funny. That's for sure. What, what describe, uh, you know, because I'm part of the infamous class of 2020, just finishing high school. Uh, what what was your high school experience like for you? What high school did you go to? What was you know life like? Uh, yeah, I went to um, Scarza. I went to Scarza High School in Westchester County, New York. It's a beautiful school and unbelievably difficult academic school. I didn't know that at the time because I was just going to high school. I didn't know any anything else. That's where I lived, so I just went there. Obviously, um, in many ways, it was probably more difficult in 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 cases than college where I went to the university of Wisconsin and high school was like, you know, I mean, I was, a, I guess, attempting to be a jock. I wasn't a good one as a four years of football <laughs> quarterback captain of my senior year, played freshman and sophomore baseball and basketball was not good enough to be on either team for junior and senior year. Um, and I mean, high school, I was, uh, you know, I, I was about playing sports and being with my friends and, I'm not, I I went to parties, but I'm not a partier. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Like, it's just not me. So my high school was probably, experience was probably a little different than most. I was way more serious. Not that that would surprise anybody that knows me. I was, you know, very much trying to get into broadcasting at some point. We had a local like school run TV station that during my non playing Mm -hmm. time, I would actually do the broadcasts on that school run TV station. Um, would take a ton of time, probably exactly like you're doing and trying to get on the air and prep and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was definitely a positive experience, um, but it was a lot of sports and broadcast, the same thing that like everything's been for me. 
You how 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 was the girl scenario? How how were you with the ladies back in high school? Let me. I had uh, a girlfriend my junior and senior year, the same girl, and freshman year. So same one for at least no, we were together much longer than that. Now that I think about it, but that in high school it was yeah one the same one. Was she your first girlfriend or no? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess I don't know. Like I guess. Yeah, probably. Like, well, maybe second. I don't know. <laughs> she don't even know. I don't know. Like, I was such a dork. Who knows? Like, probably, like first really, really serious one. Yeah. You, you got a you got a uh, first date and or first kiss story. I'll, I'll let you choose. You, you got something for me? Hmm. I'm trying to think, what would be a good one? I could tell you that I would get so nervous I'd puke. <laughs> Seriously? God's honest truth. <laughs> yeah i would get uh, so freaking nervous because i was like it was nerve-wracking for me before before dates or before you knew you were going to kiss kiss no 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 before like go like hanging out with the person uh, not like on like yeah no, no no not like that but like yeah i was i would i would get so nervous i mean i would do that for football games too i don't know i was just like so nervous before my football games oh, i you- grow up too you were Jim Kelly before the football games. You he was he was slightly he was slightly better than I was. I mean, just slightly. <laughs> yeah, vomited before the football games, and it's, you know Daryl Talley and and uh, Thurman Thomas was like, "Oh, you here, Jim's throwing up. Jim's ready. Let's go." Yeah. Um. What was, so? Uh. How what was it like in college? You going to the University of Wisconsin, being outside of the uh, state of New York, you know, for the first time in your life, you know. It's like a you know a suburban urban atmosphere, you know, heading to I would imagine is rural Wisconsin. What was it like going to such a big school such as the University of Wisconsin? Yeah, uh, it's not as rural as you would think, but or at least as I would think, uh, it's the single best university in America. It's it's amazing. It's an unbelievable place. Madison, Wisconsin, is a place where you go and you never really want to leave and you never want to disconnect from. And I graduated in 02. It's now 18 years later. And I have not disconnected from Madison. Um, I still have friends there. We still have radio stations there that I work with on a daily basis. And it was amazing. I, I just, I, I can't say enough great about the University of Wisconsin. It was, I was student radio, student newspaper, interning at the local TV station, interning for coaches shows, going to every football game, basketball game, Two Rose Bowls, my first two years that that the football team won Final Four. My that a, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but according to Babchick, you won that's right. Yes, Babchick thinks that I was on the team. Um, my second year, um, my second year, the team, the basketball team went to the Final Four. Per Babs, I went to the Final Four. Um, I actually right. did go, but I wasn't on the team. Um, and you know, it's just. So many of my my career and my life, in many ways, were, were made there. Right. Well, what what was the dating uh, experience and the you know your relationship with girls was it different than what it was in high school? I'm pretty sure you had like a different a different set of girlfriends that was kind. Yeah, but same kind of thing. You. I was never the like to use the doggy terms, uh, bouncing around. That was never that. It was all, it was right. always kind of like if the right person, I thought the right person was there, that it would be serious. So I had, you know, one girl for like half a year and then another one for like two years or so, if not more that, you know, I was with. So 
it was very much serious for me at that point. Did you were you a person you know that that you know went for something new? Did you date outside your race? Where you know did, did you know what what was the situation like with there? With did you have like specific type? Uh, no, of you totally, totally you? all over the place in terms of like I haven't even thought about it. But like each one kind of looked really different than the next one. But like right. I'm I'm just thinking back like like one girl that I dated for a while was. Um, um, Italian Catholic girl. Another one was Israeli. Another one was um, um, from Long Island. Yeah, like all, all yeah, kind of all over. I don't want to say all over the place, but there's no you wouldn't like you wouldn't look at them or read like a bio and think that they're anywhere similar. Actually, right. Now, how did you uh, meet your wife? What what was the backstory on on uh, my wife and I met when we were eight months old? I've known my wife my entire life. Really? Yeah, my wife is was the girl. She actually went to the same high school as Babs. Um, my wife um, was the girl growing up that I always had a crush on that I never thought would ever give me the time of day because she was just way too pretty and amazing and fun and like just like the it girl that everybody wanted to be around and the uh and she went to wisconsin and one of the reasons that i think that i probably went to wisconsin well so like we we grew up in the same county in westchester Mm -hmm. we went to um camp next to each other she went to the girls camp i went to the boys camp my sister went to her camp my her brother went to my camp um, mm-hmm. we both went to the University of Wisconsin when I was a high school senior my parents and I went to visit the University of Wisconsin to look at it because I'd never seen it because I've known her mm-hmm. forever she was the one that took me around campus so I had a pretty damn good tour guide and <laughs> I'll give you kind of the story of I guess the emotional story of kind of how it really happened was in 2007 my uh, she had reached out to me saying, Hey, I'm coming down to Florida this weekend in February. You know, let's, let's like meet up, have lunch, whatever. Cause we were friends. Like we were just friends, regular friends. And I said, sure. Absolutely. You know, no problem. November of 2000. And so she had like, as soon as she booked her flight, so probably like October, she just like was thinking about like, you know, who do I know down there? Whatever. Cause her grandma right. lived there. So um, in November of 2007, I was in Lawrence, Kansas. I was at a breakfast. I got a phone call. I was calling uh, a Florida Atlantic University Kansas basketball game that night. That was the year 07-08 that Kansas won a championship with Mario Chalmers. Um, so Kansas destroyed FAU that night. Um, I got a call from mm-hmm. my mom letting me know that my grandmother, her mom, had uh, been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Seven weeks later, my grandmother died. Um, at that point, oh, I'm sorry, I missed one part of it. When when my wife said to me that she was coming to Florida, I actually said I can't hang out that weekend, unfortunately, because my parents are going to be in town, and like they're coming to visit. So maybe another time, mm-hmm. right? So my grandmother was diagnosed, died seven weeks later. My parents then. Uh, canceled the visit to Florida because my grandfather was going to be alone and she died January 20th of 08. 
uh, Giants Packers NFC Championship game where the Tom Coughlin's face was frozen. The only reason I remember that exact date right. relative to the game is because my grandfather on my mom's side was such an amazing person that, you know, she was sick for a while. He had kind of come to the conclusion tragically that that was going to happen. And on that day, you know, he wanted to just relax and watch that game and kind of, you know, do his best to kind of be in his own like element and not have, you know, whatever. So, um, so in the Jewish religion, when somebody passes away um, at somebody's home, they do what's called sit, sitting Shiva where people come for one week and pay, you know, respects for the, the loss of the family member. So um, mm-hmm. my wife's mother, my now mother-in-law came to my grandparents' house because my wife's mother, my mother-in-law and my mom are really good friends. So she came to pay respects and it, I, had for, I hadn't thought about anything about the fact that my grandmother died. And I realized when I saw her, which I didn't know she was going to be there, the immediate thought of, oh, wait a minute, my parents canceled that trip. I'm going to have to go back to Florida, even though I'm a mess. And she's going to be there. So I thought, you know, uh, it's good. it'll be good to see somebody from home. And like, you know, that I'm just kind of not just thinking about like the sadness. It was the first uh, real like close death that I had in my life at that point. So that weekend in February, we hung out. I didn't think anything of it other than friends. And so we hung out one night. We went to a, there's a tennis tournament in Delray Beach, Florida, where we went to just to watch as fans because I was going anyway with my parents and they weren't going. So I'm like, all right, let's just go. We went, we had dinner, dropped her back off at her grandma's house. And the next night, we hung out again and we went wherever we, no, uh, we went to just grab ice cream or something like that. And I remember driving home, calling two of my friends that are girls that just are friends, but also know my wife. And I said to them, I'm like, you know, I think she may be into me. And they started laughing and I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. There's no chance she's into me. <laughs> and we've basically been together ever since. And I think about it because I was right and something changed you know, 30 or 20 some odd years at that point of knowing each other, that it went from, we were friends to, I think we're actually kind of like meant to be together. And I always look back on it and I say that my grandmother left me her because, because if my grandmother didn't die, we would never have had that weekend where we just hung out and went to a tennis match and went to dinner and grabbed ice cream. And that's literally all that happened. But if that, if my grandmother doesn't die and my parents, parents don't cancel the trip to be with my grandfather and be in New York, when does that weekend happen? Mm. Wow. It's probably more yeah, than you thought you were going to get on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And honest, I was uh, honestly expecting like a quick little, Oh, I've met her through this, but, but wow, that's, that's one hell of a story. I think. Wow. I didn't Wow. That's crazy. Um, did you, uh, well, what was the, what was the proposal story? Like hope, hopefully you weren't one of those people that, you know, on on the kiss cam you did it you know oh, God, no. ball game. so my when yeah. my wife moved to florida she started um and she was only there we were only there together for one year living together before i came back to new york for serious she started a baking business where she would do private events and you know like at, at for companies or like a wedding or whatever it may be so uh one of one of my best family friends or my best family friends had been wanting to hire her for an event and they never just were able to work out scheduling she either had something else or the whatever it may be so um 
it was, I want to say, it was uh, July 2nd of 2011. I set up this whole thing. We were back in New York for like a long weekend or whatever it was, or a week. I don't remember. And I set up this thing with my best family friend. I said, here's what I want to do. I had them order cupcakes, these mini cupcakes that she was making for an event. My wife kept like a bunch of frozen mini cupcakes just in case she needed extras that wouldn't go bad in the freezer at all times. So we're in Florida. She must have been out one day. I took them and I just figured out how many of these I would need. So I had them. I ordered like 200 cupcakes or whatever it is. I'm sorry. I had my friend order 200 cupcakes for this event in New York City. Now, there was no event, mind you. She met, my wife met the family friend in New York, gave them the cupcakes. I told my wife I was on the air at that point. I had a special show I was doing, whatever it is. So, again, like ready to puke the whole deal. Um, (laughs) Typical, like, that's me. So, I then um, had the family friend. I met the family friend after they dropped off the cupcakes. My wife went and was hanging out with one of her friends or something back in New York. I rented this portion of this rooftop area that faced her old building that she used to live in before she moved to Florida. I took all these cupcakes. I rode out in the cupcakes. Will you marry me? I then had my family friend call her and say, oh, my God, something went wrong with the cupcakes. I need your help. Can you come back to this area? This is where the event is. My wife comes up the elevator thinking that she's going to see these other people. And it's me with Will You Marry Me right there in front of her. Um, So at first, she's like confused when she saw me because she didn't see the cupcakes because like they were like kind of on this table. So if you're looking straight ahead, you're Mm -hmm. only seeing me. So Mm -hmm. when she's looking at me, She's like, wait, what? I don't understand. What are you doing here? Like, they just called me to, 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 because there was a problem. She was like all frantic and then realized what was going on. Obviously, she said yes. And I had told our, all of our families and I, you know, rented out this restaurant, like this back room of a restaurant so we could all have this big celebration, a celebratory dinner that night. And then the extended family came over the next morning uh, for like a brunch or whatever. And, well, we didn't need dessert because we just brought all the cupcakes that she thought she was baking for somebody else, which is really her baking her own proposal that we had as dessert for mm-hmm. that brunch that day. What, what year was this? 2011. Uh, yeah, July 2nd, this, uh, 2011. Wow. You want to know something, Evan? July the 2nd is my parents' wedding anniversary. Wow. And and on Wednesday will be the twentieth wedding anniversary for my parents. So that wow, that's crazy. That's July second means something to both of us. It does. It means my it means my existence. To me <laughs> for you. Well, you know what? It and means my you. existence too, because I don't. I would not yeah. be anything without her. That's nice. I, well, that that's that's a fantastic, fantastic story. Um. So you work at SiriusXM, Mad Dog Sports Radio. You are the first show and the first host that's on the air for that channel. Um, what's it like? Describe the morning commute f- for you getting into uh, the SiriusXM studios up in uh, Manhattan. Yeah, you I know, assume. No corona. Yeah, I was assume because now yeah. the commute is getting out of bed, walking two feet to a desk, but. Um, um, 
so it's pretty easy. Um, basically, I live, I don't know, like 10 minutes away from the studio. So I literally just get out of bed, shower, get in a cab, go to Sirius. Or go to like literally go to McDonald's across the street. I get my coffee from McDonald's. I walk across the street. I'm there and I'm doing the show. Like I, it's it's crazy. Like I've left. I don't like doing this, but I could leave as late as like five fifty if I don't stop at McDonald's and easily get there on time. And then on the way home, I either walk or Babs takes me or get a cab if need be or a subway or whatever. So like you know, it's just the morning. Because it's so, so early, you, I just try so to get in there. Right. So you live in Manhattan. Correct. Correct. Yeah. How, how's how's that living in New York City? I was amazing right, right before Corona. All right. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. I mean, I love um, this, I love the city, but now obviously it's a little bit tricky because you know where everybody's quarantined, and I got two kids, and you know we're we're in an apartment, so it's better not being in the city. But you know. It's still amazing, obviously, being in New York City. I got you. How do you handle – this is a question I've always been meaning to ask you and Babs together, but, you know, you because you're like the sports guy. Babs is is, is, is the uh, class clown <laughs> of the show. But how do, you go, how do you handle watching, for instance, of the Super Bowl, you know, game seven of an NBA final? How do you manage watching a marquee – night game that may not end until a quarter to midnight and are still able to get up out of bed on time, granted with the short commute from your apartment to the Sirius XM studios. But how how do you manage watching a marquee night game and then the morning after be able to get up out the bed to do a radio show the next morning and still be sharp to know what you're talking about? Um, I, you know, I get asked that question a lot. And to me, that that's the one that like I almost don't get from a standpoint. And I understand why you're asking. That's not, I'm not saying I don't get like why you're asking. I'm like, so this is what I do. Like this is my life. This is what I want to do. So like yeah, sure. Would I rather the NBA finals not start at 9 p.m. Eastern time? Of course. But like, who can Like I'm watching the the Warriors and the Cavs or the Warriors and the Raptors until one o'clock in the morning. And I have to get up at, you know, five or four forty-five. like whatever, who cares? Like I freaking get to watch the NBA finals. I get to like have a million conversations with people about it the next day and I get paid for it. So I get a little less sleep, big deal. You know, it's just like, so it's just, it's so nothing. I mean, yeah, maybe a first year was something and I would rather it not be that late, but like, I mean, it's not like, I mean, as, as Coach Belichick says, it's better than being a plumber. And there's nothing wrong with being a plumber, <laughs> but, like, you know, this is fun. Everybody would dream of this kind of job. So so what I'm getting at is that the energy and basically the privilege of being on national radio talking sports every day is worth getting out of bed. Yeah, I would say so. I would say yeah. so. I mean, you're on Sirius XM, like, you know, you you do, in my opinion, when when I and when I was and still am in a top fifty market, and then I'm asked to go national, like right. you know, at that point you just say like, let me know when I'm like the, to use the baseball thing, when and where, like let's go. 
<laughs> yeah. What's it? Now, you mentioned that, you know, Christopher Mad Dog Russo was your inspiration with Mike and the Mad Dog. How did you, how do you handle essentially working with someone who was your inspiration? That you you know you, being a little kid listening to the radio, and now all of a sudden you're a grown man and your hero, your inspiration, the reason why you do what you do every day. You know, you essentially you bump, you're bumping elbows with them, of course, under normal circumstances every day. What's it like working with the uh, with essentially your childhood inspiration and in Chris Russo? Yeah, it's still surreal. I'm not going to lie about that. But at the same time, like it's, it's a blessing. Like there are days where like, I'll see like a missed call or I see him calling. Like there was one day where I don't remember if it was a phone call or I think it was a text message where his son is going to the university of Wisconsin. So he texted me about like just questions about different like areas restaurants places to stay like visiting all that kind of stuff like just normal kind of parent questions about any kid going to school for the first time where should they go here you know where you would look to someone who's been there before and i looked Mm -hmm. down on my phone and it was just like such a normal thing for him to ask me and such a normal thing for me to respond to but it was also like wait like this is dog asking me this. Like, it's just, it's still kind of crazy that like, this is the guy. I mean, I have a picture when I went to his TV show on sports channel America, when I was nine years old, when my dad took me, cause he knew I was obsessed with it in my bedroom, in my parents' house of dog and I, from when I was nine that he autographed for me. Wow. And so, you know, there's that part of it, but he's been amazing to us because here's why he's been amazing to us. He fully – so the number one thing he wants from the people on his channel is – I'll do a slash in between, even though I'm going to give you two things for number one, which makes no sense, but is to care and to show an effort. And they're kind of, you know, intertwined. He knows how Mm -hmm. much that we care, and he knows how hard we try on the show. He he, Our show is not necessarily his cup of tea, but – Right. He gets what we're trying to do and, and has been amazing in embracing it and actually trying to help it. Like when we were, we're, we're in the office, like if he has something funny on his show on a Tuesday, he'll come in on Wednesday after our show and he'll literally say to us, did you play it? Did you get it? Did you, did you it? Like, he, he, like, so a lot of people, a lot of people are like, oh, this dog hate you guys because you make fun of him. And I'm always like, Really? Like, it's the complete opposite. He totally plays into it. He loves that we play. He would get mad if we didn't play. He would He would then, he's such a good dude that he would start asking, like, wait a minute, like, they're not playing this stuff anymore because he knows that's kind of been our thing. So he's embraced it's, it's, us. He's been wonderful to us. And, you know, I'm forever grateful to him. It's so uh, those those when you play those clips of dog, you know, whether it's before a bad bite or something, uh, you know, some crazy is going on in the show, and you play that really. That's what we're gonna do now. Clip, I, I get a kick out of every single one of those. Those are funny, and and, and even though you know Steve Tory is your boss, man, but when you, when you play clips of Steve and then the Babchick and then Babchick does the Steve Tory impersonation, oh my goodness gracious, that that's a riot. Where you know, ah, oh, no, they'll, they'll, oh, this but is, you have to give them a ton of credit because you know. If Chris Russo, Steve Torrey, or Steve Cohen at any point wanted us to either stop doing that 
or one of us gone, every one of them would have a right to do that. But what they've seen is we've humanized the people that are tough to humanize. And what I mean by that is the number one star of a company in any walk of life, the number one salesperson at times probably has that like, oh, I'm above everything mentality. Dog does not. The direct mm -hmm. boss cannot be made fun of at most companies. And the boss's boss cannot be made fun of or make fun of the, the employees in front of everybody at most companies. We make fun of Steve Torrey, we make fun of Steve Cohen, and Steve Cohen comes on and makes fun of us. And so right. they, to their credit, are very much in on the joke, want the jokes to continue, and understand, I mean, you know, that they have a morning show that has, I, I mean, I, I don't think that it's too much of a stretch to say this, that has built a fan base. And what more it could has. you want if you're them? Yeah, I mean, I think now that you say it, I think one of the reasons why that show is so popular, among other things, is that, you know, nine times out of ten, people's their people's bosses that work, you know, regular everyday nine to five jobs, you know, unless the, unless, you know, they work for Michael Scott in the office, their bosses do not allow them to basically make fun of them, you know, and, and have like sort of like that give and take family like relationship. So yeah, that element that you and uh, Mike bring to your show, you know, making fun of Steve Torrey and and uh, Steve Cohen and uh, and Mad Dog, it kind it kind of you know it it makes it brings a it brings a relatability aspect to the program, which is why I think one of the many reasons why you guys in particular, you know, separately, and of course your show is uh is so popular well speaking yeah. of which yeah go ahead no, no I'm, I'm just gonna say i'm glad you noticed that because that is the goal yeah um i'll get to the history of the show in a minute but what's it like working at a huge entity such as sirius xm i know uh, celebrities come in and out you know of course under regular circumstances celebrities come in and out of there all the time they're taking pictures they got have guests you, you and uh, Babs have interviewed, you know, everyone from, uh, you know, from uh, Lisa Ann to Rob Gronkowski. What's it like working at such a huge media outlet such as uh, SiriusXM? So I think one of the things that's amazing about SiriusXM is that, yes, everything you just said is true. There are celebrities every day. My first day at SiriusXM Lady Gaga was performing. That's not a regular job, right? Like that's not like, right. it's almost like, you know, you've seen the sports center commercials. Like that's, I'm sure that's really what ESPN is like. That is absolutely what Sirius XM is like. But, you know, right. uh, one of my friends slash mentors um, always says, as we get bigger, we have to get smaller. And what he means is as the company grows, we need to make sure that everyone still knows each other, understands each other, and interacts with each other. Right. Evan, you still there? Hello? Hello? Did we lose you? You got me? Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I sorry. got you. So, yeah, yeah, you went out for me. Sorry about that. So, yeah, what I was saying was 
you know, what Sirius XM has done. Can, can we go on a landline? <laughs> can we go on a landline? Uh, <laughs> so as Sirius XM has gotten bigger and bigger, it still feels like there's a, like a, a proper um, uh, familial nature to it. Like it doesn't feel like, oh my God, like, you know, there's Pandora, there's Sirius XM, there's offices in New York and DC and this ridiculous new office in LA and Tennessee and Texas mm-hmm. and all these places. But it doesn't feel like we don't know anybody. It just feels like Sirius has done a great job of still keeping us all. When I say us, I mean content and marketing and, you know, sales, like all together, right? And I think that that is the key to success when you have a big company like that. I don't feel, even during the pandemic, I don't feel removed from some of the normal people that I'm interacting with. How do you, uh, how do you handle, because you do, of course, Morning Men on Sirius, and then you have a, a show on ESPN Radio West Palm Beach. How do you handle working two radio jobs and how do you specifically handle, you know, dealing with a national audience such as you have at Sirius versus a local audience that you have at uh, West Palm Beach? So the interesting thing about that question in, in almost all markets in the country would not be able to answer the, the way that I'm answering right now. West Palm Beach is such a like transient market where not everybody is from there. So there are so many people that are from all other places that it's we've decided over the course of time that the best approach is to do almost national topics locally right so you know the bubble wallace thing last week like we're talking about that in west palm the difference is the stream of callers you know is 99 percent from west palm or i'm sorry from palm beach county treasure coast area not specifically west palm but that area you know, and there's people that I would interact with and businesses that I've supported and have supported me for a long period of time. So that part of it is really local. And there'll be sometimes there'll be specific topics, of course, that'll just pertain to that area. But any prep that I do for the morning would probably still apply to the afternoon and vice versa. So I am lucky in that it's a market that like, you know, I don't have to necessarily, there's no team specifically in the market. The Miami teams hover the market, you know, Florida and Florida state certainly are, are big there, but it's not like, Hey, if you're not right there every day, you're missing out on this specific team. It's not that. So I'm lucky in that regard. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, geez, I was Evan Cohen doing a fantastic job listening to the I'm tell, I can tell you his podcast with Josh Shields. Um, so shifting back to the serious aspect, what's it like working with such a, with such a, uh, charismatic character such as Mike Babchik? How, what's it like working with him? How and when did you meet him? When, you know, give us the origins of your relationship with Babchik and the, basically the beginner story or the, excuse me, the origin story of morning. So I have no interest in ever lying. You're asking how I met, when did I meet him? My assumption is that we met earlier in life because we have so many of the same people that we have interacted with and know. So we may have met earlier. So I can't, but I don't remember that and neither does he. So I'm going to answer the question, when did I meet him for this job specifically? So in 2000 and 
well, I'll give you the backstory and everything. And I'll kind of like be a perfect way to like kind of wrap up the uh, backstory actually takes it all the way back to 2005. I was hired in 2011, but 2005 is when I, when the, when really the Sirius XM story started for me. So in 2005, um, I believe I'm right about this. It was the Super Bowl between the Patriots and yeah, uh, Patriots and the um, Eagles in Jacksonville. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I was uh, at the game in Jacksonville. I, all I'm as a fan for the Pats. All of a sudden, I'm screaming and yelling for the Pats, and I hear somebody behind me tap on my shoulder, and they say, "Excuse me, are you Evan Cohen?" And I said, "Get out of here." I'm two years into radio. I just started in 2003. Our station was was much smaller at the time than it is now in West Palm, and I'm like, "There's no way." that four hours away in a market that I am not in, somebody actually <laughs> recognizes me. There's just no way. I said, I, I'm, I'm thinking that my friends who I was there with probably put this person yeah. up to it. Was like, hey, you know, we'll give you 10 bucks if you just pretend to know this guy is a prank. And he said, right. no, no, no. I live in Palm Beach Gardens, which is in the market. I um, listen right. to you every day, and I know exactly who you are. And at this point, I was I was stunned, stunned. Okay, he was also a Patriots mm-hmm. fan, and we got to talking during the game, and we we you know hit it off a little bit, and then like became friendly. And his best friend is Bruce Murray, who's now with NFL Radio. Bruce at the time was with um, or was you know at the time when I was hired was it with Mad Dog Sports Radio. So this guy and I had kept in touch for a while. And in 2011, um, like May of 2011, this guy reaches out to me and said, hey, you know, there's some changes going on at Mad Dog, and I've told Bruce all about you. And he would love to hear a tape, and the people above him would love to hear a tape because he's looking for a co-host. So, you know, I call my bosses at ESPN West Palm because I have no interest in doing anything behind anybody's back. I know everybody does it, but that's just not my thing in terms of like, I'm going to, if I'm going to pursue something or if I'm going to be pursued or whatever it is, I'm going to let everybody I report to know because I feel like that's the right thing to do. Um, Most may disagree with me, but that's just, I'm lucky in that I work for really great people who don't take that Mm -hmm. as I'm going to fire you, take that as a, let's have a conversation. So we had the conversation. I sent in my stuff. Uh, Steve Torrey and Steve Cohen uh, liked the stuff and were interested in me coming into New York for a three-day tryout. I said, well, this is pretty major. So I flew to New York. Now, here's where it gets crazy, where I almost feel like it was cheating. So I flew to New York in June of 2011 during the NBA Finals. Okay? That's the heat and the Mavs. So now you're actually now I'm getting a tryout on national radio with Bruce Murray, who's the nicest guy and a great host and just a wonderful person. I am literally trying out for this national show with the topic that I talk about every day. Like, think about like it could have been anything. It could have been a hockey thing where I'm not really, you know, anything special on NASCAR, whatever it may be. It ended up being literally three days of the Miami Heat, right? So I said I'm a Heat fan. So like if I said to myself, if I don't at least get like 
I don't know if it's an offer or like a part-time gig or a fill-in gig. Like I really stink. So I do the three days. We go back and forth and they're interested in me working for Sirius XM and Mad Dog Sports Radio to co-host with Bruce. Yep. So this is obviously amazing. Problem is I have no interest in leaving my other job. I said to my bosses at my other at Good Karma, I said, you know, I really would like this, but I also don't want to leave. Do you think we can work this out? So I literally took myself out of this conversation. I am very lucky in that my boss at Good Karma has, and my two bosses have known Steve Cohen, Larry Longballs, uh, as we call him on the show, for, <laughs> for 20 plus years, known him forever. So that phone call that they're having is not one that's like, an introductory call. It's a, they could have been speaking that week anyway. That's how close these people are. So I got really lucky with that, right? If Steve had left to go right. somewhere else and somebody else was in charge, like it just so happened. The people I work for know Steve Cohen forever. They worked it out mm-hmm. where I could do both jobs. Okay. So uh, my start date was going to be in September. I'm preparing to, to host with Bruce. I'm listening to Bruce every single day and, and um, you know, and I'm really trying to get pumped for that show, which I was, but I'm trying to like almost like listen to tape, you know, like a, like, all right. So, Mm -hmm. all right. So this is his, all right. So when this happens, he likes to do this. Okay. So here's where I would fit. Like I'm literally, that's what I'm doing every day. You know, I'm trying to figure out where do I fit? I don't want to ruffle any feathers. This is his show. It's going to be co-host. Like he had a co-host, you know, all this stuff. Two right. two weeks before, and that show was going to be on 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Or was on 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Two weeks before I started, I get a phone call. We're making a change in the morning from Steve Torrey. We're making a change in the mornings. Jason Horowitz, who has become a very good friend of mine, ironically, is moving over to college because he hosts at 1 p.m. on College Sports, on ESPNU, 1 to 4. Um, so Jason's going to move over to college. He's a great play-by-play guy. He's doing college. You know, that's his, he's in that world already, right? It's a no-brainer for him ultimately to be in the college station. Right. So, um, and uh, we're gonna, we want to move you to the mornings to co-host with Steve Phillips. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not at all what – I was preparing for, um, and, and they're like, and Mike Babchick's going to be on the show as well. He's the producer. I'm like, Mike Babchick, that's the morning show producer? And Steve's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, because the only time I met that guy was when I was doing my tryout shows. I had to get, like, buzzed in from security. Mike thought I was an intern and asked me to get him water upon my arrival. <laughs> So I'm like, that's my memory of that guy. That's the guy that like just literally was trying to get me to do his work and get him something before I ever even met him. So, or at least that I, sounds you know, like, yeah, it. so it sounds like, it. but anyway, so then, um, you know, then Steve and I developed a rapport on the phone, Mike and I as well. And Eric Fenton, who's great, was a part of that. And we had a good few year run. And then Steve went over to, to the baseball MLB network series to it on XM 89 and host in the mornings. And now, you know, and then Eric ultimately went to Barstool and ultimately Andrew got in there after another producer by the name of Tony Scarangella, who's now doing uh, ACC radio. And, uh, you know, ultimately our show kind of came to fruition. But it's it's a weird like, again, some of these weird circumstances, like what if I wasn't sitting near the guy who's friends with Bruce Murray at the Super Bowl in 2005? 
the Sirius right. XM ever hear my stuff because the only reason they heard my stuff was because Bruce Murray was able to suggest me because his best friend vouched, vouched for me because I met the guy at the Super Bowl in Jacksonville where I don't even live. <laughs> Crazy. So. Uh, yeah, so you all, I mean, it, for those of you all who haven't listened to the show, it's, it's been, they give you sports, they give you goofiness. I mean, and, on a, and, and if you think this show is great during quarantine, when it's under regular circumstances and they're in the in the studio, it's it's nine times better. Um, and because part of the reason is because that Evan and Babs have uh, supermodels that frequent, and I'm not joking. They have ha- they have had every supermodel from Kate Upton to Ashley Graham to Charlotte McKinney to Camille Costick walk into that studio where the great Christopher Mad Dog Russo takes the sports talk very seriously, and they have supermodels on the show. So I say that to bring this up, <laughs> and I say that to you, Evan. Yeah. How how many supermodels have you had on that show, and how do you handle interviewing them in person? Because I know, because you know, being a guy, you see attractive woman. It's like again, it's 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 the it's the puking before you meet them, right? As as you brought up early in the show. But how many have you interviewed, and how do you handle interviewing them compared to like a regular athlete or someone who's in sports? I don't think it's any different. Like because we're interviewing people and trying to find out interesting stories about the people. Honestly, like it just they like they look better than. I look so, uh, or definitely than Babs looks. Um, but, but they, no, it just, it's our, our whole thing is to find interesting people to interview and get interesting stories, um, out of those people. And so, you know, that's kind of how I look at it relative to whether it's somebody like Lisa, who you mentioned or Camille Costic or anybody else, like, like Lisa has amazing stories. Camille has amazing stories. Like Haley Clausen, who was on with us a bunch, you know, years ago has really interesting stories. Like her dad reading sports illustrated in the bathroom his entire life. And then he realizes my daughter's in sports illustrated as a swimsuit model. Like it's just these stories that you're getting are our goal. Like this is what we're trying to accomplish. So it honestly isn't any different. It's just, you know, some people are paid because they're great at sports. Some people are paid because they're great writers or broadcasters. Other people are paid because they're actors and actresses. And other people are paid because they are amazing at selling whatever they're selling based on their looks and their physical condition and how uh, their mind and all that stuff. So it's just, honestly, it's not really much different. I got you. I understand. The ne- now the next thing is is that whenever quarantine and all this stuff, and I can't and I called into dog with this proposition, but as soon as quarantine is finished and you all are allowed to be back into the studio, you all have to have to have to have to get Russo to interview you and Babs pick pick the supermodel, but you and you guys have to pick a supermodel for dog to interview. Because, uh, and and his and for those of y'all that don't know who Chris Russo is, he's he's based, he's the pioneer of sports talk. Who takes not not it's not that it's a bad thing, but he takes you know the sports talk business. He doesn't take himself seriously, but he takes the business that he is in 
very seriously. So he and he's all about the big time athlete. You know what makes the what makes the athlete wake up at five o'clock in the morning. You know to go to the gym and work extra hard. So having him interview someone like a supermodel would be must listen radio. That I would I would listen to that, is, but that ain't happening anytime soon. <laughs> that's true. Um, and and one and one uh, last thing on the on the uh, on the supermodel topic, and then we'll get to other things. Uh, the next time you get the great Ashley Graham in studio, and uh, once Corona ends, I hope that's very very soon. Uh, tell her that I have a uh, a that she's my celebrity crush since I you know since I began high school. That's number one. Number two. Tell her that I have a podcast, which ironically is on the same platform as she uses, which is Anchor, and that this that I don't, we could do nine hours for all I care. She has. I think I'm on the ninth hour here, Jai. I think I'm on nine hours already. I, I yeah, will. Yeah, uh, yes. I, we haven't had her on in years, but she was very nice. Um, the thing that I'll tell you about her, she always portrays herself as like you know the every woman in terms of like her physical appearance. And maybe she is, right. but like, right. I mean, not even remotely heavy. Like if you look at her in person, like not at all. She's a like a beautiful, smart woman who, you know, may look a little different than other models, but like, you know, to her credit, like she's just a beautiful, smart woman. So anyway, you may continue. Yeah. See, see, oh my goodness gracious. That, that is one, that is one gorgeous woman and, and highly educated. And I, and I give her this, you know, what I said at the top about taking care of your own little corner of the world, as far as ending the racism, she's done a good job with that. So I give her credit uh, with that. Um, What was uh, your best, do you have like a best story or a favorite memory of you working at Mad Dog uh, Sports Radio? Yeah. When we were, uh, when Howard basically took over our show, Babs screw up, screwed up an NCAA tournament bracket. And the person who won it was a member of Howard's staff, uh, JD. And uh, the guy did not get the money, all the money that he was, uh, that he was supposed to get because I think Babs may have stolen it from him. And all of a sudden <laughs> I was in Florida doing the show that day. And all of a sudden in my ears, Howard Stern, Howard basically had figured out a way of like taking over our show and started interviewing Babs, simulcasted both on our air and Howard's air. And you're never <laughs> going to get better than that in radio. Oh, my God. Uh, what did – wow, that's crazy. So no, none of the Falcons have, have stood out? No, they all the, have. Uh... They all have. But what I'm saying is I think it's that kind of moment with Howard that right. gets us to those moments, right? Like if, if, if we didn't have that kind of moment, Falcons, you know, well, I guess there's a, you said, well, at serious relative to radio, I guess that was what I was thinking, but no, the Falcons have been amazing. I was against them. Uh, I've said that many times because I thought it would set up unrealistic expectations. I thought the concept of doing a national show and having a remote like that was very scary because I just, I didn't think that anybody would show up. And people showed up the first time. They really showed up the second time. They really showed up the third time. And they really packed it in the fourth time. And it's still right. remarkable. And I am forever grateful to every single person that ever showed up. Because I think the greatest thing that I could say about our accomplishments, if you want to call it that, is that we have created a community of people that want to be around each other as much or more, well, more, I think, than they want to be around us. Well, definitely me, but, 
But <laughs> I think that the fact that our show has led to friendships is really awesome. Right. I, I just I love the whole story of how Foul Nation and Falcons just came to be. I mean, it's it's really really remarkable. And and once Corona's over, I've said this about nine times now, but I will make my way up to New York for Falcon five, six, seven, whatever. It might well, be. we want to have you. That's for sure. sure. I will be up there in New York for the for uh, Falcons later in the future. So you being a Jordan, uh, a huge Jordan fan, of course, that was you know born in 1980. That was you know you were approximately you were what my age when uh, when the last dance season when they won in '98. Uh, what what did you think about the Last Dance documentary? What were some takeaways from it? What was you know your favorite moment? What is something that you know you you know you, yeah, you didn't think, know before? I, well, no, I think I could actually see. I think I could sum it up really in this statement. This was many of us renewing our vows with Michael Jordan, because many of us who grew up during the MJ era and the Jordan era, I should say that we, we all love him. He's the greatest ever. Mm-hmm. And we loved him in a way that was different than the way we loved other athletes. There was an invincibility and an aura around him that did not have the same feel with other athletes. LeBron James is an unbelievable player, arguably the second greatest player of all time. Tom Brady is the greatest football player of all time. Um, mm-hmm. there was, there's just a different feeling around Michael than there was about around everybody else. And I think watching the 10 part series, you start to remember that feeling that you had that, that it's just, it's tough to explain, but there's that feeling around Michael. You started to remember that. And it was the renewing of the vows. Like we, we, we fell in love. We forgot how much we were in love with him. And then we relived it again. And that's why it was amazing for me. Right. And they, uh, and of course, one of his compadres and his right hand man, especially when Pippen was out to begin the '98 season, was Dennis Rodman, and they had the story of how he needed the quote unquote vacation, you know, when Pippen came back, and this, that, and the other, leading to Michael Jordan busting into the uh, Rodman's hotel room, you know, and and dragging uh, Rodman out of bed. I bring that up because I have a follow-up question that I want an answer to because other people that I've had on my show, uh, that includes my uh, high school football coach and my uncle, who hasn't been on the show, but he listens to the program, they all swear up and down that Carmen Electra looks better now than she did back in her heyday in the late uh, 1990s. I beg to differ. I disagree. Jai, Mr. Jai. Cohen, she was yeah. an A plus then and she's an A plus now. So I don't know which A plus you think is better, but when you're an A plus then and A plus now, I mean, that's like, you know, top of the food chain. I mean, my God. I, I, I think me personally, she, she looked better 20 years ago than she does now. That's, that's Again, A plus then, A plus now. <laughs> I hear you. I, I got you. Um, so get into the sports as we wrap this up. Evan Cohen doing a fantastic job. Um, the NBA is planning to resume July 31st. It looks like nothing's been, nothing has changed up until this moment. 
but they plan on having that bubble inside, uh, you know, the Disney World complex in Orlando. The schedule of the NBA came out uh, last night, the 26th. What are your thoughts on the NBA resuming play on July 31st, and who do you have favorite to uh, win the NBA championship? So my thoughts on all these sports are literally I could I could I could kind of summarize it in one fell swoop. All three all three sports restarting um, or starting, not counting the NFL. I think it's actually going to be harder for these teams to win now than it was then. Nobody's used to this. Nobody understands all the rules and regulations. Nobody understands what kind of health uh, situations may occur. I think it's going to be impossible to win. I think that everybody is, is – everybody who's saying like, oh, no, it's going to be so much easier is ridiculous. I think it's going to be so much harder. If you look at specifically with the NBA, I think it's just going to be about ball. I think it's just like these, these players are just going mm-hmm. to ball. There's nothing else to do. There's no home court advantage. There's no influence from the fans or anything like that. There's no getting on referees. This is just can you ball. And right. this is why I think it's going to be fascinating – to watch i think the favorite would have to be the lakers simply because if lebron james is on your team he is better than everyone else when healthy so i think you would have to look right. at them as the as the favorite uh i certainly would rather the heat win it all than anybody else but i i don't think i don't know <laughs> if that's going to happen but i'll tell you something this kind of setting where it's all about ball a team like that is the kind of team that i would want no part of if i was another team um i certainly uh have ties to the Bucks and the state of Wisconsin. So I certainly wouldn't be mad if they won it all. And I think that it would be very interesting. Could you imagine if Kawhi wins it all? And then Kawhi would have won with three teams before LeBron would, which is interesting in my opinion. That's I, I honestly did not think about that. Um, and when I called in uh, to the show yesterday, about uh, about the tainted championships as far as Major League Baseball is concerned. And uh, I brought up the 87 Redskins. I did not realize that the Redskins won two out of the three Super Bowls that they have were in strike-shortened seasons in the 80s. Uh, and 82 was the first one, which they played, which I think the regular players played no more than 12 games that season. And but that's also why – but you just nailed it, though. So you in that area of the country, like you're in, right, that everybody loves the Redskins or the Ravens or whatever, like you have more of of the knowledge of that than I do in terms of the fandom, and you didn't even realize that. And that's not a knock. That's more of the proof in the pudding of what I'm telling you is that, like, like nobody brings it. Like the Spurs, nobody looks at the 99 Spurs and is like, oh, that's tainted. So my point is a championship is a championship. Like give them credit, whoever wins it in whatever sport. No asterisks, in my opinion. I got you. Uh, what did you think about the virtual NFL draft that occurred? I know we're going way back into April, but did you enjoy the virtual draft? Would you like it if, you know, when the, the world was under normal circumstances? It's never going to – I, I don't buy when people say it's going to happen again. I just don't because there's too much money to be made by not having it virtually. So it may have been nice on a one-off and, you know, under the circumstances, but there's just no way it's going to happen again. When you can, when you can sell tickets, when you can have the interactions with people, like I just don't buy it. I don't buy it for a second. Now, speaking of NFL, you are a big time Patriots fan. Now, were you born and raised a Patriots fan? No, I'm a total front runner. I love Belichick and I love Brady. And I, I think that, 
Um, I'm a phony baloney. Nobody's, I've never doubted that. Um, I grew up a Giants fan. I love the Parcells Belichick Giants. I did not like when it was Shockey and Strahan and Tiki. Not really my team. Um, and so in my head, the Giants basically gave birth to the Patriots. Everything the Patriots are doing now is what the Giants did back in the day with Parcells and Belichick and the way in which they ran and the culture of the team and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, in my head, the Giants became the Pats, and thus I started rooting for them. I'm a phony baloney fraud. I don't, I don't deny that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, speak, speaking of frauds, did uh, Tom Brady deflate the footballs? Not even a chance in hell. There's a 246 pages of the Wells report. I read every single one of them, and it basically states in there that that did not happen. Is uh, Brady and Belichick's legacy tainted? due to the uh, cheating scandals with Spygate and Deflategate. I've stayed with you for an hour and 50 minutes. You want me to hang up on you? <laughs> no. No, ch- no <laughs> chance in hell. Give me a break. They're the greatest quarterback co- uh, coach combination of all time. Not even a close second. All right. Uh, so what advice would you give to someone a la me who's trying to become a national sports talk radio personality? I will, I will, I'm glad you asked that. It's a perfect way to finish. What I will tell you is what I started to tell you a little bit earlier. There's, it's right. two things. It's in, in specifics with radio, listening and doing. Listen to radio, study the game. Don't just listen to sports talk radio. Just listen to radio. How I don't care if it's a music show, a political show, a sports show, a talk show, a gospel show, a community show. I don't care. A country show. I don't care what it is. Study the game and then practice like you're doing now. Right. And find out. And, and if you and one piece of advice that I was told was that if you want to be on the air, be on the air. And what I mean by that is. So I, I was thinking about, should I take this job that doesn't include an on-air thing or that job that doesn't include an on-air thing? So my first paid job was doing traffic reports in Madison, Wisconsin. There's no traffic in Madison, Wisconsin, but I was on the air. It was on the air. And so that, to me, is the advice, is that if you want to be on the air, get a job where you're on the air. It may not be overnight, but it may be like, all right, if I train, if I'm cleared, and so on and so forth. But So listen to radio, what you're doing. Study the game of it and do it. What would thank, that's fantastic advice, Evan? Thank you. What would uh, do do your dog impersonation right quick? Uh, what would what would our man Mad Dog think of this interview? I die, I die, Could we have could we have cut out an hour and twenty? Did we need Evan for this long? I mean, geez, this is going on forever. I mean, my God, I I barely can listen to Evan for a minute, and now I need two hours of this guy. Gee whiz. Tough to take. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Evan Gordon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Evan, thank you. I appreciate you for coming on. I didn't mean to keep you for this long, but uh, I, I learned a thing or two. That uh, the day that you proposed to your wife was my parents' 11th wedding anniversary. So we figured, uh, so we found that out. <laughs> Evan, Evan, thank you so much. Thank you, Jai. I appreciate all of your support, and I appreciate what you're doing and continued success. Thank you. Appreciate it. We'll be back with the Amtelica TIS podcast right after this.
another summer and it feel good. Stop now, top down, through the neighborhood. Let the wind blow, open up the window. That girl is poison like Velvet the Bow. We have a barbecue to do at five. Swimming pool party in the back on the low. BYOB and the plates of food will be laid out for free. Little kids, get down. I have a bus pull up with Tommy the Clown. I do the jerk, get crumped, go to work. And do that dance that'll make your whole damn body hurt. Playing bombardier, come and clear. It's that time of the year for everybody to be boisterous. Rock with Snoop Dogg and rejoice to this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Special thanks and a thanks again to SiriusXM's Evan Cohen for coming me, or excuse me, for joining me on the program. Um, I didn't expect that uh, interview to go about two hours long, but uh, there ain't nothing else for me to talk about. I need to fill up airtime, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a big deal that this little uh, podcast that, you know, 15 people listen to gets a, a national uh, sports talk radio personality on it um but once again special thanks and thanks again to evan cohen he did a he did a good job that was the first guest that i that we've had on the program since uh, the knapp brothers you remember josh and brandon knapp the two division one uh athlete ex- or excuse me athletic extraordinaires uh from your from uh uh your archbishop curly high school in uh here in baltimore uh, that's the last time that we had had we went a whole month without guests, and he was the first one that I've had on the program since we had the Knapp brothers back in the beginning of uh, May. But uh, shout out and once again thank you to Evan Cohen for uh, coming on the uh, program. Um, anyway, uh, last uh, item I want to get to, um, and before we say goodbye, um, and that is the. MLB Network, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. documentary that was on uh, last Sunday night on Father's Day, uh, the night of uh, Father's Day. Um, I got a couple things I want to get to right quick. Uh, first off, when it come, Ken Griffey Jr. when he uh, wanted, when he essentially wanted out of uh, wanted out of Seattle. When you know Ken, when Ken Griffey said he you know came across as a family man, he loves family, wants to be around his family. He you know he didn't like the idea he was missing his kids starting kindergarten. This any other? The only thing I got to question Ken Griffey is well, if Ken Griffey is such a family man, you know, and loves his family, wants to be around his wife and kids and everywhere else, why why in God's name would he basically base his family and start his family and have his family essentially live across the country in Florida when he plays in Seattle. That 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 to me makes no sense. Okay. Your family this, family that, but yet your family is three thousand miles away all the way in Florida and you're and you're all the way on the West Coast playing in Seattle. It's kind of hard for me to take Griffey seriously with the family man stuff, you know, when he when he based his family in Florida. I mean, what your family can't live in, in Tacoma, Washington, or 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 live in Seattle with you. I mean, and then and then and then when he does get traded, he gets you know he gets traded to the Reds, which which I get it, it's closer to Florida, but it wasn't like they requested a trade to the Tampa Bay Ray, Devil Rays at the time or the um. 
or the Florida Marlins. You know, he he re, you know he requested a trade to a, to the Reds. You know, because he wanted to be close with his father. But yet he tells us in the same breath that he wanted to get out of Seattle because he wanted to be closer to the family that he actually created with his wife down in Florida. And it's it you know he, Griffey you know kind of I I like Griffey. He's he's a good guy, a fantastic electrifying baseball player. Nothing against him. But you know, when it comes to that, he's kind of talking out of uh, both sides of his mouth. Second thing is that the documentary failed to mention that Griffey was favored at the beginning of the 98 season. We knew this because of the long-gone summer 30 for 30 with Sosa and McGuire that came out the week before, that was on TV the week before. That uh, and it failed to mention that uh, Junior was favored to break Maris's record prior to the 98 season beginning. And was and had it a three-man race between Sosa, McGuire, and Griffey until he hit a slump in the middle of the season. They failed to bring that up in the MLB Network documentary, you know, saying, "Well, he was on pace to break Maris's record, and then the strike happened." Man, come on, he and then he bounced back in '98 and nearly broke it. Had not he, and it was a three-man race, and then he fell into a slump in the middle of the season. So that's the second thing. Third thing is his injuries and how Ken Griffey basically said, among other things, that his injuries basically wasn't going to change the way he played because he had a long stretch during, you know, in the early to mid 2000s where uh, where he was always banged up with the Reds. Griffey, I understand injuries are part of the game. But Griffey has to understand that his body at the time was not getting any younger, okay? He had reached the peak of his ability as a all-star, go-glove winning outfielder for the Reds and a silver, and, you know, and a silver slugger. I'm not saying that you basically have to do a whole 180 of your play, but, I mean, you'd be an idiot you know, to basically play to keep play the same way you're playing and then wonder why you get injured all the time. Griffey, if you wanted to stop the injuries, I'm not saying change completely your game, but you got to at least have enough common sense to put two and two together and realize, well, hey, I, at this age, at this point in my career, I can't play the way I did, you know, back in ninth, back in 1994 with the Mariners. I got, I got to do, I got to modify my game, you know, I got to change my game and change how I play the game, uh, you know, a company, uh, you know, in in sync with. Uh, of my of of my physical ability, and Griffey didn't do that. Griffey was still going out there playing like he was a twenty-one year old, even but his thirty-four year old body, you know, was was saying something different. So I I get on Griffey with that. You know, when you get injured all the time, as often as he did with the Reds, you got you got to have enough common sense to realize that you know what maybe certain the way I played the game, you know, back in nineteen ninety-two isn't going to help me stay on the field, you know, when I'm playing here in 2002. So you got to, I, I, I'm down on Griffey for that, you know. If you get injured playing a certain way, you got to learn how to modify your style to keep yourself on the field to uh, to prevent injury. Uh, the, doc, the documentary overall was okay. You know, it was it better than the long gone summer? A little bit, but not by much. It was, you know, it was an average okay documentary. Average, you know, average okay documentary. And, and one other thing, uh, do we have to have Malcolm Moore um, essentially providing the uh, the soundtrack to this? You know, the, the, you know nothing against him personally, but uh, Malcolm Moore is not exactly um, 
Mac Macklemore is not exactly, you know, Drake or Jay Z. Okay, let's let's be fair. The guy the guy has not been relevant since Thrift Shop came out uh, eight years ago. Okay, he he has he has not been relevant since George truly was in the fifth grade. Okay, one song, Thrift Shop, it was it was fantastic, off the charts. Since Thrift Shop, he's he's done nothing. One one hit wonder, and we gotta have Malcolm Moore essentially, you know, making up his own little cheesy corny rap song, you know, that 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 that's uh, playing alongside Griffey hitting moonshots, you know, in that band box that was uh, that was uh, the Kingdom. I mean, do we, do we gotta have Malcolm Moore with, with, his, with his cheesy rap songs about Ken Griffey Jr.? I mean, do we have to have that, please? Next week, I will go more in depth with the 2020 MLB season, as hopefully the schedule will come out um, within the next couple of days to a week or so. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Young TIS podcast. Follow Evan Cohen on Twitter at Evco Radio. Follow your boy on Twitter at the J Shield. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore TIS. Thanks again to Evan Cohen for coming on. Talk to you next week.